This is a Teofil Rewind. Sounds like somebody knows from experience that God will do it again. Well, I wish we had time to testify right now and bear witness that God has always come through through sickness, financial problems, depression. God is still the same healing God that he was back then. And you may not know how. Sometimes you're wondering, Lord, when? But hold on, church. He will do it again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for blessing us already, oh God. Thank you for your word in song. Thank you for the testimonies and the praise and worship. Thank you for the prayers and the gifts and the offerings. And now, God, as we receive your word, we pray, Lord, for your anointing power. We ask that you rebuke the works of the evil one, Lord. We ask, Lord, that no one would re be resistant to your voice. Lord, as I speak, I'm also listening. In the name of Jesus Christ, let everybody say amen and amen. Re-engage. We've had a wonderful time over the last three days talking about being re-engaged with God. It's necessary, it is vital in any type of relationship to be engaged and re-engaged. To engage, we talked about on Friday night. We just broke down what the word means. It means to participate or become involved in. God wants us involved. The Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. He wants us to call on him. He wants us to have an expectation from him, to engage with him, and to re-engage. Sometimes life comes and it hits, troubles come, things happen that are unexpected, and sometimes the enemy seeks to disengage us, but God always provides a way for us to re-engage. We may have stopped participating, but to re-engage just simply means to participate and become involved once again. One of the things I love about God is that he never gives an F on a test. God doesn't fail us on tests. He just says, we're just going to take it again, baby. We're going to take it again until we get it right. That's what I love about God. I've been in school and I failed tests. And, I, and, and he says, well, you flunked the class. But you don't flunk classes with God. God reengages and connects with you until you pass. We talked about on one night, you don't have to win the race. All you have to do is finish the race. Just cross the finish line, honey. Re-engage. Tonight, today, we're going to speak from a subject called, Are You Feeling Me? Are you feeling me? God wants to feel you. He's not just some ethereal God sitting up on a throne that's disconnected from the world and does not have any kind of understanding of what we're going through. That's why we have the express image of Jesus Christ. So that there is a connection. When we speak to God, what makes it possible for us to speak to God is because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And he knows what it feels like to be human. He was wrapped in our flesh. He came and he knows what disappointment is. He knows what physical pain is. God knows. So when you are praying to God the Father, you're praying in the name of Jesus because Jesus at the right hand says, Father, I know how they feel. So God says, can you feel me? Because the whole objective of the enemy, of Satan, once called Lucifer, who stood in the very presence of God, now Satan cast out. 
the prince of this world, Jesus called him. His one and only goal is to get us disengaged and disconnected from God. Because he knows unless he does, he does that, he has no power over us. The word says, greater is he that is in you. That's being connected. That's feel. When you feel God, when you can feel God, you've got some power. When you can feel God, you have the ability to be an overcomer. This is what started this whole mess, Pastor, is Adam became disengaged from God. A man just moments from creation now runs from God, hides from God, and blames his woman. You ought to stay away from a man that blames the woman. I want a man that's going to take responsibility and be a man. This man threw his wife straight under the bus, backed it up, and rode over her again. Lord, it was this woman you gave me. Shows you how deep sin is. But Adam was not talking to God. God said, Adam, can you feel me? In the form of a question, he said, Adam, where are you? Now, we know God is omniscient. He knows everything. So when God asks a question, the question is not for God. The question is for you. Adam, where are you? And what God was speaking about, listen to me. I want to share with you one thing that's so important. The one thing God wants from you more than anything. It's not your tithe and offering. It's not all of the religious traditions and, and, and laws that we follow. It's not all of those things. Those things are great, but the one thing God desires more than anything, and he proved it with Adam, is he says, I want a relationship with you. Some folk are so concerned about a membership that they miss the relationship. Is it possible to be in church all your life and never have a relationship with God? You've been a member of every Haitian church in America, but still no relationship with God. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. That's why he went after, because Adam wasn't talking. Adam had shut down. God said, Adam, where are you? Can you feel me? We can't make it if we can't feel each other. I need you to be feeling me, Adam, because things are going to be a little different now. Because of this choice you made, things are going to be a little different. We can't be in each other's presence no more. So there are going to be times when you got to feel me and know that I'm there, even though you can't see me. That's how Job was able to utter, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Job had to feel God. How does a man who just lost his children, lost his possessions, lost his wealth, lost his wife, be able to utter the words, blessed be the name of the living God? How can you utter those kinds of words when all hell is breaking through in your life? The only way it happens is that in certain times and situations, you've got to be able to feel God even though you can't see him. That's why he's asking the question, are you feeling me? This COVID, I don't like it. I can't see your faces. I can't see your smile. We got the mask up. This has been terrible. We don't know whether to hug or bump fists or rub elbows. You don't know how people feel. Say, so like, do we shake? Can we hug? You don't know what to do. You can't feel people anymore. The devil is laughing. He's like, look, I've got God's people scattered and separated. I've already done it to the world. Now I'm doing it to the church. 
And when the church is no longer together, when the church is no longer feeling God anymore, that's when destruction will come. The world can fall apart, but the church got to hold it together. We got to stay connected. Can you feel me is what God is asking. I know the world has lost the ability to feel, but I don't want the church to become numb. Can you feel me? Have to put up signs and, 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 and check temperatures and sanitize over and over and over again. And hospitals are filling up again. And the devil is laughing. He's roaring. We talked about this one night. The devil is on the sideline roaring. He's not attacking. He's just a roaring, seeking to instill fear in God's people. God says, no, 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 no. When you're going out like this, I need you to feel me. You know, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you really want them to understand what you're trying to say? And that's what you say. Can you feel me? Young people say that all the time. Can you feel me? Can you feel me, pastor? You know, man, I, you know, I, I ain't coming to church tomorrow because can you feel me, pastor? They want to know if I'm connecting with them. God is asking the same question. For God is a spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This was a, something he talked about when he saw the woman at the well. Jesus was like, I'm here now, but I'll be gone. So when I'm gone, you can worship me in presence, but at some point you're going to have to feel me. You're going to have to worship me as a spirit because I got work to do. I got to go and prepare a place for you. So I can't stay here. I wish I could stay here amongst. I will send my spirit and the spirit won't be as visible as I am. So you're going to have to be able to worship me and feel me. You're going to have to worship me not only in spirit, but in truth. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. We're going to focus on the word presence and pleasures. These are important to God. My presence and my ability to give you pleasure, joy in the Lord. Do you not know that you can still be a Christian, a disciple of Christ, and still have joy? Are y'all listening to me? And that a fact, you can still be a Christian and still have fun. I wish I had half a witness in here. You can still enjoy the life on this earth because God wants to give you not only spiritual pleasure, but physical pleasure. He wants you to prosper and be in good health. There are some folk who are going to be really upset when they get to heaven and say, you mean that she made it? That girl was having fun in life and she still made it to heaven? I could have had fun too. You mean I didn't have to be in a suit 24-7 on my knees, praying 24-7, fasting 24-7? You mean, God, I could have actually enjoyed living? <laughs> Some folk are so holy and righteous. If they smile, their face will crack. God wants to give you pleasures and joy. You can go to a party and wake up and know where your keys are serving God. There's no party like a Holy Ghost party. There's no pleasure like joy in the Lord. We want to focus on pleasure and presence. There's a word called anhedonia. Look it up. Google it, young people. It's a real word. Anhedonia simply means the inability to feel 
pleasure. It's an actual sickness. It's an actual disease, a dis-ease. The inability to feel pleasure. Let's break it down. Let's break the word down so it makes sense. And is without, hedon is, with, is pleasure. So anhedonia means without pleasure. I'm afraid that that's what the enemy is trying to do to the church to get us to stop feeling, not feel pleasure anymore. We just come and we go through the routines, but we don't really have the joy of the Lord. I remember when I wasn't always with God and I was out clubbing, man, I couldn't even dance. I was a straight up church boy. But you know, when you go out in the world, you want to let the world know you ain't got nothing to do with God. So you get out there and you try extra hard. You cuss extra hard. You dance extra hard. You can't even dance. But then when you come to God, you want to be stiff and quiet. When I'm, out, I'm not going to break my hip out there for the world and not give God my hip. When I see God of the Spirit gets me to move in, I got to move. I got to raise my hand. I'm not going to give the devil more of my joy than I give to God. I don't want to lose my ability to feel. That almost happened to me. It, it can happen to you when you hear of tragic things taking place. Like when I heard about the, 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 the earthquake in Haiti. When you hear of bad news, when the news and talks of people who've died from COVID, we can get so caught up in our world. We're like, oh, that's terrible. That's just too bad. Oh, God. And we keep moving on like nothing happened, like there wasn't a tragedy in the world. God is hurting. God is hurting when his people die. God is hurting as a result of sin. And I want to be like God. When God hurts, I want to hurt. When God laughs, I want to laugh. When God is compassionate, I want to be compassionate. I don't want to get to a point in my life where I can't feel anymore. When you hear somebody struggling, do you stop what you're doing for just five seconds? and say, God, have mercy on them. Back in June, I was on my way to Florida to a funeral. And we were driving down 65, and all of a sudden, the, the traffic just stopped. Little did I know we'd be in that traffic for two and a half hours. Traffic just moved, just inching along, and I'm getting angrier and angrier. This doesn't make any sense. How come this traffic? And then the Lord spoke to me. He said, do you not realize that there's probably somebody up there whose life is in the balance? Have you stopped for one moment to feel and pray for whoever is in trouble up ahead? Instead of being selfish, all you're thinking about is you and where you have to go and what your time. You can't feel anymore, Gary. Stop right now. Stop your complaining. You and your wife, grab hands, hold hands, and pray for who is dying. And we come to find out that 10 people died on that roadway that day. 10 people. Many of them children. I don't want to get to the point where I can't feel anymore. Immediately, my heart became thankful. I'm grateful, God, that I can now still feel without natural affection. Sometimes when you hear of tragedy or you hear of trouble, take a moment to stop social media and take a moment to stop texting. Take a moment to stop watching uh, all of these things and, and being distracted by your job. And just take a moment to just say, Lord, let me just pray right now. Let me pray for Afghanistan right now. 
Let me pray for these mothers who are trying to get their children out of this country. Let me pray for Haiti right now. Let me pray for those who are struggling with, 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 with issues of COVID. The hospitals are filled. Let me pray for the nurses. Let me pray for somebody other than just myself. I want to be able to feel the pleasures of God. I don't want to get to the point where I can't feel. Anadonia affects us in three ways primarily. It affects us socially. We can't even be social anymore. Let me make a, put a caveat out there. I love social media. Because of social media, there are people who are able to watch this presentation right now. Social media has allowed the gospel to go around the world. But anything that God gives us, the devil is going to use it for his glory. And social media has been a tool to separate us. We don't talk anymore. We sit next to each other and text. Are y'all listening to me? We don't look at each other in the eye. And I see it in young people a lot with social media. I'm not hating on you young people, but I want you to know the psychological effects that it's having on you because you're so into it. You're looking at everybody else put their highlight reels on social media and it's causing you to be depressed. Everybody has highlight reels. They don't show you the real troubles in their life. They're showing you their highlight reels. They're showing you when they were in Mexico and when they were in Jamaica and when they were doing And they're showing you all the great stuff and you're jealous and you're depressed. How come I can't do it? I want to do that. How come they're not responding to me? How come I don't get as many likes? You are sacrificing the likes of many for the love of one. And we can't talk anymore. I work with young people. I work with millennials. And I say, look, look, look at me. All right, what are you saying? No, don't get upset about it. No. Let's talk. No, I can't read your 20-page text. We have to talk. Let's have a conversation. You see families out having dinner, and everybody's plugged in. They went out to dinner to have dinner together, but around the table, they're all plugged in. Kids, all the, you got kids now that don't know how to turn or flip. All they know how to do is swipe. They will touch everything and think that it should swipe. Social media separates us. It's a great thing. It's a great tool, but you have to use it. Social media is a great tool, but God, God wants us to use it for his glory. Musical. We used to be able to feel music. The music that they, and I'm not hating on the new, there's some good new music out there. I like some of the music, but it, some of it just doesn't have the feel that it used to have. Do y'all remember when music used to make you feel it? You could hear it. It would make you move. You could, them old bands, man, you could hear them when they come on. That movie would make you, you know, you're in the club, and, and I'm not glorifying club, but there would be songs that, I don't dance, I ain't getting up, but when you hear a certain song, it makes you say, I got to get up now, because you can feel it. Some of you will sit down in church and not move, but when your song, when the praise team hits your song, you get up and you move, because you can feel it. Some of that stuff there right now, you can't feel it. It's just, ooh, baby, ooh, baby, I can't feel that. I need something where I can feel God. Some of that old school stuff, God is the joy and the strength of my life. Some of them old school songs, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. I love the new stuff. It's great. It's wonderful. But at some point when I get deep into my struggles, I got to be able to feel God. 
So the devil says, I'm going to attack you socially. I'm going to attack you musically. And I'm going to attack you sexually. Can't feel intimacy anymore. One of the number one ways that the devil attacks God's people is sexually. Do you know why? Because that's the closest that a man or woman can ever get to you. And God says, I want intimacy with you. And so if he messes you up by getting you hooked up with the wrong people, let me just throw this out here, just a little sidebar. Ladies, there is something that God created in you. It's in all of us, but it's mostly in women. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin is the drug that causes us to connect and bond. That's why the baby bonds with the mother through breastfeeding. When the baby's born, the baby bonds and they get close. And there's a forever bond between mother and child. That's why there's a mother that, that will never, that's my baby. He could be 40 years old. He could be 50. That's my baby. That's why you see all the athletes say hi to mom and not dad. Hey, mom. You see all the celebrities. Hi, hey, mom. Because there's a bond there. Dad had a part into it, but the bond was oxytocin with mommy. So whenever you become sexually active prior to marriage, you begin to release that oxytocin. And you begin to bond with whoever you're with. That's why people on the outside can tell you he's no good for you and you can't see it because you're bonded. So the devil says, I'm going to take advantage of that. I'm going to get them to bond sexually. So that way when the real relationship, when God sends the real person or the real friend in their life, they will have anhedonia, unable to feel. And what was just supposed to be a season in your life have now become permanent in your life. So the devil has done a great job. I will mess them up socially. I will mess them up musically. I will mess them up sexually. Why the Lord says flee from sexual immorality because he knows the devil will use it. The Bible says that Adam knew his wife. That was an intimate relationship. When he asked the question of Adam, where are you? He was asking him an intimate question. Where are we, Adam? Have you ever been in relationships? Where are we? Where are we good? Are we not good? That's what God was asking. Adam, are we good? Where are we? Because you haven't talked to me. God was looking for intimacy and seeking to keep Adam from not being able to feel. Steven Spielberg made a movie called Jurassic Park. It was just supposed to be an experiment. But it took off, it boomed. And they said, we want more, we want more, we want more. He was like, what? He said, oh, I've got some other great genius ideas of movies in my mind. No, we want a Jurassic Park 2 and 3 and 4. And he says, in other generations, people wanted to be educated, enlightened, improved, and empowered. But in this generation, they want to be entertained. The great fear of this generation is not disease or death, it's boredom. <laughs> Boy, this generation is afraid of being bored. But what you call that boredom is actually what I heard a sister say last night. There are some times when God says, I want you to be still and know that I am God. 
That's not boredom. That's an opportunity for God to speak to you. Because here's what we'll say. God is not talking to me. Get this in our theological minds right now. God never stops talking. It's just that we're not listening. He always talks. But sometimes we have to unplug. We got to take the AirPods out. We got to turn the phone off because there are some people who are afraid of the noise of silence. Because when you have to deal with silence, you got to deal with you. Uh-huh. You ain't got all them distractions blaming everybody else for your issues, making it everybody else's problem. When you have to sit by yourself and allow God to speak directly to you, then at some point, you've got to say, Lord, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, it's me standing in the need of prayer. That's why people don't like, have you ever seen those folks that got to be connected all the time? They always got to be, oh, hold on, hold on a second. I, it drives me nuts when I'm having a conversation with somebody. And they, oh, hold on. Oh, hold on a second. I'm having a full-blooded conversation with you, bro. You on your phone? God might be trying to speak to you through me. Disconnect for a minute. And then the devil said, let me take this off right now. He said, I'm going to give you an Apple Watch. So if you leave your phone, I can still talk to you. Because my phone doesn't buzz. My Apple Watch buzzed three times up here. I said, no, not right now, devil. I'm talking. We're having a conversation. This is about us and God. So this can wait because I want to hear God. God speaks to you, pastor, even when you're preaching. You cannot be distracted. And so there are times when, listen to me, I know it's hard. I, I wasn't, I, all the uh, technology was not out when I was your age. So I get it. I understand. Well, that might have been hard. It might have been. But I'm telling you now. At some point in time, God wants to get you alone and by yourself. There's an old song. Some of you might remember, some of you may not. I've come to the garden alone. While the dew is still on the road. That means early in the morning. And the voice I hear tells me. He walks with me. He talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. You got to hear God's voice tell you sometimes that you belong to him and him alone. You don't even belong to your husband and your wife. Wives, your hus husbands, your wives do not belong to you. They belong to God. Oh, I ain't got here. Oh, some of y'all don't like that right now. I know in some cultures they don't like that. No, God has made you a manager, not an owner. We are managers of everything God has given us. The money that you have sitting in your account right now is not yours. It's God. He said, here, manage it. Your children are not, I can do whatever I want with my child. No, you can't. That is not your child. That is God's child. And he's going to hold you accountable for how you manage that child. You don't own nothing. You don't own it. You don't even own yourself. I know this is not popular, especially in a lot of cultures, but let me say it. I'm going to say it with no apology. And I hope the world hears it. God did not give man authority. He gave man responsibility. The only one who has authority is God. First part of that word says author. What have you authored lately, mister? You haven't authored anything. God authored you. God gave you responsibility. He says, where is your wife? 
How are you treating your wife? How are you treating your family? That's the response. Notice he did it in Genesis. In Genesis, he lined every one of them up. And he says, Adam, because you've done this, this is what happens to you. Eve, because you've done this, this is what happens to you. And he even got that rascal serpent in there. And snake, because you've done this, you will crawl forever. They were held accountable for their responsibility. If you're a real man, you ain't got to walk around trying to prove it. I feel like I'm by myself in here. A real man ain't got to walk around talking about, I'm the man in this house. It goes my way. I pay the bills. That's not a man. That's a dictator. God is not a dictator. God is a lover. God is gentle and compassionate. So when you walk around being all bravado and cool, who are you imitating? It ain't God. God could make you do right right now. For those of us that are doing wrong right now, you know you're doing wrong. God could make you do right, but he doesn't. He asks you, would you be my friend? That has helped me so much in my 32-year marriage when I finally learned that I'm not the authority. I'm the one responsible. And God will hold me accountable. That doesn't mean you go home, ladies, now and say, did you hear what the pastor said? Did you hear what the pastor said? I ain't got to know, that ain't what I'm saying. Because <laughs> the Bible says another one of the most hated texts in the Bible by women. The most hated text in the Bible. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husband. They hate that text. And the men will throw that out there. That's what the Bible says. But I'm here to tell you that a woman who knows she has a real man that listens to God has no problem submitting. Because they know they're not submitting to you. They're submitting to God. Oh, after y'all getting quiet on me out there. I know we're supposed to be talking about engaged. We done talked to marriage. Doctor. We done jumped on marriage. But I believe that God wanted to put that commercial break in there for somebody. Because there's some marriages that are about to be disengaged. Anidonia. The inability to feel. We sleep in separate beds. We don't do anything together anymore. We don't talk anymore. We don't spend time as a family anymore. We don't sit around the table anymore. Why? Because we have anhedonia. You don't know what pleasure feels like. How can we experience God's presence? Because I work with young folk a lot, I have to take church terms and turn them into real terms. Millennials and young people ask you all the time, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? That sounds great. I mean, is God going to actually be in our presence? No, he's not. Moses wanted that. God said, no, no man can see me and live. So no, God can't physically and literally be in our presence. It is through the spirit that he's in our presence. So young people will ask you, well, what does it mean? Because we'll tell them, girl, you need to get in God's presence. Okay, like, well, what does that mean? Where's God at? I'll find him. So you got to break stuff down so it makes sense. Your, your, your faith should make sense. So we asked a different question. How can we experience God's influence? That's easier to explain because that's really what he's saying. To be in my presence is to really be in my influence. And there's a many ways that that can be done. Influence, first of all, means the capacity to have an effect on the character development or behavior of someone or something. Y'all mind if I take my coat off for just a minute? Get a little hot up here. The ability to have an effect on someone or something, on their character. So in other words, you can tell when people are under the influence or the presence of God because it has an effect on everything they say, everything they do, where they go and where they don't go, 
Whether or not they'll gossip. Somebody want to come to you with gossip, that is not under the influence of God. They think you are garbage disposal. You can recognize the influence of God because it stays away from anything that seems like evil. So my question this morning is how can we experience God's influence? Well, if you think about it, there's a lot of ways. You can experience it through ministry, through worship, through dreams, through talents, through gifts, through fellowship, through Holy Spirit, through obedience. You can even experience God's influence when you rest. Meditation, music, creation, the word. You don't have to always be in a church, although I recommend you come to church whenever you can and fellowship with God's people. But you can be standing alone in a Walmart line by yourself and still experience the influence of God. Are y'all listening to me? Woo! I'm feeling good. I'm going to tell you how. I remember one time I was in the Walmart line. And I, this was back in the day when I didn't have two pennies to rub together. And I had, I had come up with just enough money. Me and my family were homeless. We didn't have a car. It was a, a difficult time. But I'm standing in Walmart. And, and, and the lady said, it'll be $3.75. I didn't have but $3. I'm standing in line. I didn't have but $3. I said, I need to be under his influence because now I feel like cussing this lady out and say, what do you mean, $3? That's not what it said on a sign back there. I need this product. Do you know what's it? That wasn't her problem. So I said, Lord, help me. I immediately went under his influence. I wasn't in church, wasn't a praise team singing. I just right at that moment said, Father, I need you. And he said, sing, boy. I said, what? He said, sing. I said, all right. So I saw, I said, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour. The lady started looking at me like I was crazy. Lord, I need thee. I needed 75 cents. I said, oh, bless. Bless me now, my Savior. And I come to I didn't care who heard me. I didn't care what. They thought I was crazy. I needed 75 cents. I had to feed my babies. And the woman at the cash register, she said, sir, I don't know what you're going through, but I'll pay the 75 cents. You go ahead on and go out the door. See, but you can't. Most of us will stop singing right there because the Lord did what we want. No, you got to keep singing because when I walked out the door, I said, thank you, Lord. Come on, talk to me. Thank you. You got to be under his influence. Because when you are not, you will go off on people. I've heard people to church folk. I've seen church folks say, oh, we're going to deal with this. They take off their earrings and their shoes and it's on. Right after church. You can tell when people are under the influence. That's what we need. It's the influence of God. Let me take you through four, four quick scenarios of what happens when you are out of his presence or his influence. I'm going to take it straight from the Bible. Four quick things. Number one, Luke 10, verse 40. When you are out of God's influence, you will have what's called misguided priorities. Let me give you an example. In the Bible, it says, but Martha, Jesus said, I'm coming by. I'm coming by to see y'all. Can you imagine getting a phone call from, can y'all imagine getting a phone call from Jesus right now? Jesus, this you? Yeah. Coming by your house. Is it all right if I come by? I wonder how many of us would say yes. Is it all right? Yeah, come on by, Jesus. You're going to be in my house? You're going to, no, I'm going to literally physically be in your house. What? And, and you can talk to me about anything you want to. 
Jesus was getting ready to make a personalized visit, a pastoral visit to the house of Mary and Martha. And so he gets there. And Mary is like, Jesus, she locked in. She is in his presence. Whatever was happening social media-wise, whatever who was whatever was going on in the neighborhood was not changing her focus. She said, Jesus is here. I'm going to be in his presence while he's here because I may not get another opportunity for this. But what was Martha doing? Martha had a different priority. Martha had a misguided priority. Martha said she was a melancholy temperament. That's something we can talk about later on. Different temperaments act different ways. And melancholies like things to be perfect and in order. They want things to go this way. It's got to be done. Martha was in the kitchen and she was like, I need to get this big dinner. She could have just did some cookies and some crackers or some juice, but she had to put together a big dinner. Jesus wasn't caring about no big dinner. He came to sit down and sup with you and spend time with you so that you could be literally in his presence. But yet somebody, Martha, was distracted by this big dinner. Misguided priorities. When you are out of the presence of God, you hanging out with knuckleheads instead of going to school. When you are out of the presence of God, you're more concerned about your position rather than God's power. When you are out of the influence of God, whatever comes to your mind, you say it. When you are out of the influence of God, priorities are messed up. You're, I had to tell my brother, your, your testimony touched me. There was a time when I was preaching all over the place. And the Lord blessed us to baptize Hundreds, thousands of people. And they had a big celebration. They're like, Pastor James, through your ministry, many people have been saved and blessed. And my whole family was sitting at the table. And everybody's like, praise God. And my sons were sitting there like this. And they looked at my sons and said, well, what's wrong? Aren't you happy that God has blessed your father to be a wonderful and powerful minister? They said, well, we didn't ask for a wonderful, powerful minister. We asked for a dad. Out of his See, so here's what I'm trying to tell you. You can be in the church doing all the work that you want to and still not be under the influence of God. Don't let the devil fool you. Set your priorities in order. This brother testified last night. We're letting money go. We're letting bands go. We're letting all of that go because I, need to, I got a family that God has made me a manager of. I need to get my priorities right. When that brother was talking last night, he was talking about being under the influence of God to where he came to his mind that my family is first. When you are out of the presence of God, your priorities will be messed up. I drive a 2005 Dodge Caravan minivan. Are y'all listening to me? Now that car you see out there, that BMW, that's my wife's. I drive a two, and both of our cars are paid for. I drive a 2000, that's my car. Two, that's the car we had when we raised the kids. Now, when I go to other churches, sometimes they have a parking spot for the guest pastor. And when I pull up in there in my minivan, I pull it up next to BMWs, Land Rovers, Mercedes Benzes. I'm pulling up in a minivan. How you look cool in a minivan? <laughs> what, you lean back, roll the windows? open the side doors, and it's a 2005, so it doesn't even have the latest and greatest. 
And the preachers look at me, man, you need to get your car, man. You need to upgrade, man. You need to upgrade your car. And there are times when I feel it. Sometimes I'm at the stoplight. I'm there in my minivan. And this Land Rover, I want a Land Rover, that's what I want. This Land Rover pulls up next to me. And he rolls down the windows. His speakers, his sound system is dumping. My little stuff sounds like a Cracker Jack box. And I'm like, Lord, come on, Jesus. What you doing? I need me a Land Rover. Lord said, you get a Land Rover, ain't no problem. He said, well, you get now, 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 now. Glory be to God. Pastor Keelis asked me. He said, what financial requirements do you have to come and speak at our church? And I said to him, I said, we have none. I said, God told me when we started this ministry years ago, do not ever charge a fee. And I'm not saying everybody should do that, but that's what God told me. He said, don't ever charge a fee. He said, I don't want the ministry to ever have to not be used because you cost too much and they can't afford you. You tell them that God will supply your needs and if they decide that they want to bless you, fine. If they don't, I will take care of you. Now, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm telling you what, because when it first happened, when it, I think I told you, when it first happened, uh, when God first told me this, with the, can I take my time? Or oh, we in a hurry. Can you take my Come on, listen, listen. I just, I got to give y'all what I got because I don't know when I'm coming back. So listen, 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 listen. When I first did it, the first time, I went out to do a week, a week of prayer in New York. And the guy asked me, he said, now this was after God had given me the revelation. The guy asked me, he said, well, how much do you charge, sir? And I said, oh, man. Now I got bills to pay, y'all. Got a wife, I got children, got a house, no, I got bills to pay. So I looked up at God. I said, God, we, are we doing this? He said, you heard what I said. Tell them you have no financial requirements. But I didn't listen to God because I had bills that were due. So I said, give me about five, six hundred dollars. He looked at me. Five or six? I said, is that too much? He said, no. We was going to give you about fifteen or sixteen hundred. But since you said five or six, we'll go with that. Are y'all listening to me? God slapped me on my bald head and said, boy, what I tell you? I'm going to take care of you because I know what you need. They will never be able to afford you because I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And that's what you ought to ask for because you serve a God who owns everything. So God said to me, you can go get a Land Rover, but you're going to have to start charging people to pay for that Land Rover. So get your priorities. So until then, me and the minivan is hanging tough. And if I never get that Land Rover, I'm going to get a piece of transportation one day that's going to take me up out of here. Won't need gas, won't need nothing. Won't just be able to float home out of his presence. Number two, Judges 16, 15 through 17. You get comfortable with sin when you are out of the influence of God. You get comfortable with sin. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because we talked about this on Friday night. But your boy Samson, your boy Samson was under the influence of God at first. Had a vow, your strength, don't cut your hair. That was the vow, the influence, the personal, intimate connection with God where he could feel pleasure with God. But then he hooked up with this sister named Delilah. Shouldn't have even been there. See, when you're out of the influence of God, you'll be places you shouldn't be in the first place. He had no business in Philistine. But he's down there in Philistine, hooked up with this sister. And three times, 
she asked him, where's your strength lie? That's why I said three times. Three times God gave him a chance to get out of it. And finally the Bible says that she tormented him with her nagging day after day until she was sick unto death. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. See, he got comfortable with sin. Listen to me, young people. Sin looks so good at first. Samson saw that. Samson loved him some woman. He saw that sister Delilah. He went, my, my, my. I don't know what y'all say in the Haitian culture, but he said, mm, mm, mm. My, 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 he saw her, and he said, I got to have her, and so he started connecting with her. So what he was doing is he was hooking up with Delilah at night and then going out trying to do God's will during the day. That's misery. Hooking up with Delilah. At, see, he got comfortable. He said, oh, yes, and then he went back out to do God's will. I am Samson, and before, when he first did it, it was like, oh, this is not right. Oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, but I can't help it, but pretty soon he got comfortable with it. He starts sending her lingerie. Put this on, wear this. He got comfortable because he was out of God's influence. She tormented him. Finally, Samson shared the secret, broke him down. This is one of the most saddest texts in the Bible. Notice what it says. It says, then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. No, no, no. That's when you're under the influence. You can shake yourself free. You can step out of sin's way. You can avoid trouble when you are under the influence. But he was no longer. Look what the next verse says. It says, but he did not even realize. You ever wonder why you can't shake it off sometimes? I used to be able to put this weed down, but I can't shake it off now. I used to be able to put this bottle down, but I can't shake it off now. I used to be able to let that man go, but I can't shake it. I used to stop arguing. I used to stop cussing. I used to, I used to be able to not be bitter anymore, but I can't shake it off. It may be because you are no longer under the influence. Maybe the Spirit of God has left you and you don't even know it. The movies you used to watch used to detest you. Oh, that language, oh my God. Now, more and more Netflix, more and more binging, you get comfortable. Now you find the words coming out of your mouth. Spirit of God has left you, don't even realize it, because you're no longer under the influence. The fourth and final one, or the third one, Jonah 1, 2. When you're out of the presence of God, you get misguided priorities. When you're out of the presence of God, you get comfortable with sin. When you are out of the presence of God, down is your only direction. Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. Nineveh's that way. Jonah went this way. Out of the presence, the very fact that God called him meant that he was in his presence. If God is calling you, you're in his presence. But he went the other way, out of God's presence. And it went down from there. Notice the verbiage in Jonah 1. Jonah went down, not to Nineveh, but down to the port of Joppa. <laughs> and he didn't stop there. But all this time, Jonah didn't sit on the top of the boat. He didn't sit in the captain's corner. He went down to the bottom of the boat, asleep down in the hold. And then Jonah said, okay, throw me over. And when they threw him in the, uh, into the depths of the ocean, he sank down 
into the heart of the sea and sank down to the very roots of mountain. What I'm trying to tell you is that when you leave the presence of God, you might be trying to wild out and live big and char big and large and in charge, but I'm trying to tell you that without the influence with God, without God giving you divine instruction and direction with some of the most difficult decisions that we have to make, your only direction is down. The devil will make you think you're going up. Jonah thought he was going up, but he was going down, and it wasn't until he got in the belly of the fish down in the depths of the ocean that he came to his senses. And the Lord gave him the same command. Isn't it funny how we go to God in prayer, but we've already made up our mind what we want him to say? Is anybody following me? Jonah had already made up his mind, but he was in trouble now. The Bible says that out of his affliction, he called on God. And he said, Lord, what you want me to do? And he thought well, God was going to say, oh, it's okay, it's all right. We got another sign before you. That was too hard for you. Maybe I was wrong. Let me go back and connect with Jesus and talk to the Holy Spirit. Maybe we can come up with something lighter for you. God gave him the exact same command. Arise and go to Nineveh. I told you God doesn't fail you. He just gives you an opportunity to take the test again. When you are out of God's presence, the only direction is down. Have you ever seen folk leave God, leave his presence, stop worshiping? They're in our praise team no more. They don't come to church, Bible study no more. And you can begin to see it on their countenance. When there used to be a calm and beautiful presence, now they're bucked up, angry and upset about everything. It's because they're on their way down. The last one is Samuel 16, 14. When you're out of God's presence, you have misguided priorities. You get comfortable with sin. Down is your only direction. And then opens the door for evil to enter. There was a king named Saul. Chosen by God. Even though God didn't want them having an earthly king, God says, if we're going to get one, let me choose him. So he chooses King Saul. King Saul was humble at first. He was like, yeah, I'm a tribe of Benjamin. You know, I'm lowly. Then he got puffed up. You know how you get puffed up when you've been in a church office too long and you think you own it? Can't nobody replace me. I'm the best singer. I'm a founding father here. I was humble at first, but now King Saul was puffed up. God gave him several opportunities. Don't sacrifice, he sacrificed. Kill uh, Agog and everything, all of that stuff. Nothing left. No, I think it'll be better if he's worth more money alive. Out of his presence. To the point where the man went to go see a witch. A law that Saul set up. When you're out of God's presence, you will do some crazy things. So the Bible says... Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. And the Lord, now this text has always tormented me. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Does that sound like God to you? Did God have a contract with Satan that says, when my people don't do what they do, send some of your spirits over there? Is that how God works? Does God align himself with Satan in any way? Well, then how can an evil tormenting spirit be sent by God. Well, it only makes sense. Do you remember Job? 
He said, the only reason Job is loving you is because you got a hedge around him. Open up that hedge and see if he blesses you. And then when the hedge opened up, here comes the spirit of evil. So what I'm trying to tell you is that when God leaves you, when God takes his protection around you, the only other option is for evil to come in. I want to be in his presence at all times because the enemy is constantly trying to take me out. I'm ready for you, brother. Let's talk about being back in his presence, engaging, re-engaging, so that anhedonia doesn't affect us. Back in his presence, Psalms 51. Another king, the next king after Saul, David. The one who was anointed but not yet appointed. Samuel said, no, not him. All he does is ten sheep. I like Jesse's oldest son over there. He's buff. He's buff. He got a 12-pack. He'll make a good king. God was like, nope, that ain't the one. I've rejected him. Man looks on the outside. I look at the heart. So he chose David. David, again, see, when you, listen to me. Leaders, pastors, I want to talk to you for just a second. One of the things that you have to pray for on a regular basis every day is you have to pray for humility. I wish I'd have heard amen on that. Because people will lift you up and make you think you're more than you really are. Oh, pastor, I love you. That's my pastor. Oh, he preached. I can't. That's why I don't go. I go, no, 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 no. Glory goes only to God. Don't lift me up. Hey, I don't mind you encouraging me and saying God used you. Thank you for allowing God to you. I don't mind. But when you start lifting me up, I got to do like Jesus did with Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. Because that's what Satan wants. He wants self-glory. And that's what calls, that's what happens when you're out of God's presence. You get puffed up. You got to pray for humility. Especially one of the most bane of existence. The epitome of arrogance is an arrogant preacher who thinks that the church, the congregation, and all the thing that happens centers around him. That's what happened to Saul. And that's what happened to David. You better ask God to teach you how. To be humble. Don't, don't, make this, don't ask God to humble you. You don't want that. The scripture says humble yourself. Because if God does it, you ain't going to like it, I promise you. I promise you. So David was God's man. Kingdom was going, built. He was doing great things. But David got out of God's presence. David was supposed to be out in the field with his troops. But he decided to stay home in his Versace robe and walk around the courtyard. And he was walking around the courtyard one day. He saw a woman. Now, that's not the hard part. We all see we ain't dead. Just because you're married don't mean you're dead. That's not the part. But the Bible says that David lingered. And he kept looking. And because I'm king, because I'm pastor, because I have influence, I can have anything I want. 
go-getter. David was out of God's presence. He was going down. His priorities were messed up and he got comfortable with sin. David took this woman, killed the, man, killed the woman's husband, had a child. Now he's sitting up on his throne. Tell me what somebody did wrong. And they're coming and I'll fix it. God had to put a man who was in God's presence to come back before David. And he told him a little story about a ewe lamb. And David said, who is he? Where is he? Who's done this? And Nathan looked at him and said, this is coming from somebody who's in God's presence. You are that man. David immediately, what have I, what have I been doing? Anadonia. The reason I did it was because it was to medicate my pain. Because I was out of God's presence, nothing would make me feel good anymore. So I medicated my pain with drugs or shopping or, or, or alcohol or, or men or women. I, I medicated my pain because I have anhedonia. Nothing causes me to feel pleasure anymore. I used to find pleasure in worshiping God. What do I do, Nathan? He said, get back in God's presence. Get back under his influence. Did you not know that this is how Psalms 51 came about? Psalms 51 is a result of David going back into God's presence after his terrible sin. Notice the verbiage. Oh, give me back my what? Joy. <laughs> I want that joy, that pleasure, God. I used to love serving you. I used to stand in worship and tears would flow from my eyes. I used to help people on the streets. I used to pray. I used to read my word and I loved it. But now, God, I lost that joy. Give me my joy back. And notice this next line. Do not banish me from your, your influence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. This is what happens when you get back into God's presence. I learned a long time ago, I told y'all last night, the reason that I can be transparent about my life, my children, my experiences, is because I've told my business to God. And so now I can tell you my testimony. I don't preach sermons I haven't lived, y'all. I was a man preaching the word of God around the world to people just like you. And would go home at night after preaching the word of God and watch porn videos all night. Yep. That was me. Married and everything. Children and everything. Here we have Pastor James going to speak for us today. I would come and speak, go home, secretly watch my porn videos. Like Samson, back and forth. Tormented. I couldn't take it anymore. I said, Lord, I can't live like this anymore. The Lord says, you need to bring this out because... You don't want me to. So, so you need to deal with it. 
He said, God, my wife's going to leave me. My wife's going to leave me if she finds out. He said, well, then so be it. He said, but you cannot stand before my people without being under my influence. So I said, I'm going to make a deal with you, God. I was in my office, Pastor. We lived in Portland, Oregon. My office was way on the other side of the house. My wife's bedroom, our bedroom was on the way on the other side, and my wife, she sleeps like a rock. I'm telling you, my cup of sugar, she sleeps like a rock. Nothing. When she's down, she's down. So I'm going to make a deal with God. I said, okay, I'll tell you what, God. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. You let my wife walk in this bedroom, and I will tell her, I mean, walk in my office, and I will tell her what's going on with me. Can you do that? <laughs> Don't ever challenge God because God can do anything. When I finished that prayer, I heard, baby, are you all right? She walked in my office. I immediately began to break down in tears. Not because I was busted, but because I knew how much God loved me. I said, baby, sit down. I got something to tell you. She listened and she cried. And this is why the Bible says when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. But you got to let God find the wife. She said, baby, we're going to get through this together. And I have struggled with porn ever since that day. It's like a recovering alcoholic. I used to get mad when people say, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Oh, what do you mean? That's devil talk. You recover. No, you can recover. God can completely heal you. He said, oh, you think it's that easy, huh? Remember the man named Saul, Paul, who asked God to take away the thorn? Three times. God said, my grace. I have prayed and I've cried and I said, God, please take it away. No. You're going to make a decision every day to be under my influence. So now every day I have to make a decision that what has control over me, I will have control over it. Don't let it get in here because the devil will use it. Alcohol you can get out of your system. Drugs you can get out of your system. But the things that you watch on video stays forever. Don't let it get in there. So I can't afford to be out of God's presence because it will pull you out of your deepest lows. God is asking you. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Can you feel me? Why do I tell you this? Because I realize just because people come to church does not mean that they're in God's presence or under his influence. Church folks are professionals. They are, they are, are surgical in putting on fronts. And I understand why. Because when you tell somebody else your business, it's faster than CNN. That's why you only tell your business to God and your testimony to the people. 
So I understand that you come with reservations, but I'm not asking you to come to people. I'm asking you to come to Jesus and be under his influence because he will set you free. His desire is to re-engage with you. You've been disengaged. And he wants more than anything. Young man, where are you? Young lady, where are you? Married couple, where are you? Pastor, leader, praise team, ministers of music, where are you? Can you feel me? I want to invite somebody this morning. And you know what that means? That means you have to get rebaptized. That means you have to stand before the church and write a letter. That means you have to go before the board. All you have to do to get back in God's presence the Bible says, come boldly before his throne of grace and find help in the time of so I realize that because you're dressed up doesn't mean that you're in God's presence. I dressed up every week. But I was a mess on the inside. Is there someone in this place today that wants to receive God's invitation to re-engage and admit that, Lord, I have anhedonia. I've been diagnosed. I can't feel pleasure anymore. But I want you to restore your joy in my spirit. I want to smile again. I, I want to be happy in my marriage again. I want to have a good outlook. COVID has messed up everything. I want to at least be able to have a good outlook on life, that there is hope, that there is a future. Restore that joy in me, oh God. I don't want to be mad and angry and bitter, separated, upset. I want your joy. Great peace have they that love the law of God and nothing shall offend them. If that's you this morning, I'm kneeling, but you can stand or you can lift your hand or you can nod your head. God is not about show. He reads the heart. But I believe making a public declaration before the enemy has power because God says that he will acknowledge you publicly. So if there's someone in this place, whatever age you are, God has spoken to you this morning. Say, Lord, I don't want anhedonia. Unable to feel. I want to have compassion. I want to cry when others cry. I want to laugh when others laugh. I want to rejoice. There's a time and a season for everything. Lord, I'm in one season. It's called numb. I want to feel again, God. Please receive me back into your presence. Under your influence, I'll make better decisions about my education, about my finances, about my marriage. I'll make better decisions if I'm under your influence, about my relationships. If that's you today, I'm kneeling, but I'm asking you to stand. Stand before God in his presence. Answer his call. He's calling you. I'm here, Lord. Like Samuel. Here I am, O oh Lord. 
Remember what they told him? He said, if you hear the voice again, answer. Here today is an opportunity to hear your voice. Jesus has stopped by your house. Are you more worried about the big dinner? Are you willing to be in his presence? Don't let this opportunity pass you. Stand in his presence. Father God, we're lifting your name. And even as I pray, there may be someone who still needs to be moved to stand to their feet. Especially a young person, Lord, who's just beginning, who's just learning about this war, this battlefield. Help them to understand that even though they don't understand everything, they're going to need the influence of God. Move upon them. And those who are older, those who have been at this for a while, Lord, we need to re-engage. We get numb. We get caught up in the regimen of church and not in the depth of a relationship. Father, touch and move upon somebody right now, God. Can you feel me? That's what God is asking. Can you feel me? Who are you? I don't know who you are, but God does. Who are you, young man? Who are you, young lady? Who are you, married couple? Who are you, leader, pastor, leadership? Who are you? How much power, more power can come when you're under the influence of God? I want to be a servant, not a celebrity. under his influence. Speak now, God. Just for a moment, just speak, God, in this moment, in this season. Speak, oh Father. Somebody misses you, Lord. I'm going to ask Pastor Killers to come. Give us our closing prayer. I just feel led. I just love how God uses him in the flow of worship. And I just feel like this is his area. This is his gift. And I'm asking him to come. Just close this prayer out. As someone makes the decision, not forced, but by the love of God, to be back in God's presence. Dear God, holy are you, gracious are you, mighty are you, O oh Father. Oh, we can't thank you enough for this day. This day that we were impacted by your word. And Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. That reminds us that we are not supposed to be out of your presence. We're not supposed to be disengaged. But we're supposed to operate under the influence and joy of the Lord. Oh, Father, someone in this house has been disconnected. Your spirit has been yearning to work in our hearts, but we have blocked you, oh God, because we have conformed. We have allowed the world 
to create darkness and separate us from your light, your presence. Oh, Father, I ask you right now to work in our hearts, to restore your sons and your daughters. Those who don't have the courage to stand, Father, infuse them by your Holy Spirit, oh God. courage might overtake the fear and that they might come to you that they might be rescued again oh father right now in the mighty name of Jesus we ask that the shackles of yesterday the shackles of failure the shackles of fear the shackles of issues, the shackles of hatred, the shackles of resentment, the shackles of the things that we hide from our spouses, from our families, from you are broken in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, that your mercy might flow, that your joy might flow that your peace might enter again. Dear God, strengthen your people according to your word. Because you tell us, yea, though we walk the valley of shadow of death, we have nothing to fear because you are with us. In Psalms 139, you tell us no matter where we are, or though we may descend into the pits of hell, you are there. You see, it's not that we left your presence. Oh, we lost focus. Because you are always there. But it's the noise of life. The pains of responsibility that has caused us to remove ourselves from your influence. And right now, oh God, we lay down our pride. We lay down our arrogance. We lay down the titles. We lay it all down, Lord. And we come to you as nothing. Because in you, under your influence, we are everything. And it is in your precious, holy, awesome name we pray. And in Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, 